Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan A. Episode 251, recorded November 3rd, 2016. So it's a sad day. We're finishing off today Star Trek Ongoing. It ended with issue 60 and today we're covering issue sniff. 59 and 60. Sniff, sniff. Sad. But the good news is that it kicked off a new series called Boldly Go. Very cool. Which we will cover issue number one. Yes. So and in between 60 and Boldly Go number one, the events of Star Trek Beyond happen. So. Right. So very interesting to see some of the first uh, adventures of the fallout, and I will say fallout, from the events in Star Trek Beyond. Right. Mainly losing the ship. Right. Which I loved. I loved I loved how uh everything's not in quite a neat little bow as as you were led to believe at the end of that movie. Right. So they yeah, everybody you know, everybody forgot about all the people that were killed on the of the crew. They just had a nice little party. That's fine. And yeah. then they looked at the ship that was in the the new Enterprise A that was uh, work in progress, and they had a little fast-forward where you see the ship all getting finished and stuff. Of course, that was just for everybody to see what the new ship looked like. And I still right. think they might tweak it a little bit before the next movie, I think. I'm just going to say that. But still, they're not just going to jump right on it on the new ship and, and get going. Right. There's going to be some time in between, and that's what this first issue starts to show us. Exactly. And... uh and with 59 and 60, it's a, it's a huge crossover episode or issue story arc with some great guest stars. Uh, and I do have some complaints about the story, but one of my complaints is that it doesn't really lead us right up into Star Trek Beyond, which I would have no. liked. I would have liked it to kind of get you into the same mindset that those characters were at at the beginning of Star Trek mm-hmm. Beyond with That'd be interesting. Kirk thinking about leaving and Spock thinking about going back to mm-hmm. New Vulcan. It would have just been nice if the writers could have book undi- book yeah. marking or could have at least could have at least gotten us the readers to buy off uh, where they were at at the beginning of that movie. Right. But they don't, so instead they get to meet up with some uh very familiar faces from another timeline. <laughs> Very familiar. But not. Funny about that. Yeah. So, with that, you want to jump into 59? I will. So, this first one's called Connection Part 1. And the published date is July 2016. Writer is Mike Johnson. Story consultant, Roberto Orsi. Art by Tony Shastine. Colors, David Mastroleonardo. Letterer and World Design, Editor Sarah Gatos, Production Design Neil Yataki, Publisher Ted Adams. There's three covers. Cover A shows the heads of the Taws crew Kirk, Spock, Dr. McCoy, Ahura, Scotty, Sulu, and Chekhov, 
with half of the original Enterprise to their right. The cover was done by Tony Shastain. The variant cover features the Chris Pine version of Kirk on an alien planetary surface firing his phaser at three toothy mutant pigs coming at him and a silver robot named Rom standing right behind him. The Enterprise is clearly visible in the sky behind them. Apparently Rom is returning in his own comic, so this looks like a shameless attempt at cross-marketing for the IDW folks. Cover by Drew Moss. The subscription cover takes place on the reboot Enterprise Bridge. Kirk is standing and pointing forward with a determined look. McCoy, Scotty, Spock, and Uhura are standing. Chekhov and Sulu are seated at their normal helm and navigation stations. Covers by Josh Adams. Two Kirks wake up in their quarters. Or are they their quarters? Kirk one looks like Chris Pine, and the other looks like a young and virile William Shatner. The Shat's quarters look very high-tech in silver and blue, while the Pine Kirk has more of a 60s design aesthetic to it. They both say they woke up in a stranger's room. They thought it was a dream at first. Their respective uniforms fit perfectly, but were off in color and other details. As they make their way through the ship's corridors, the controls and other details are all in the right place, but they look different. When they enter their respective bridges, they scarcely look like their bridges. Both Spocks report a most unusual space anomaly. As the Kirks make their way to the con, they see a Spock, but not their Spock. One Pine Kirk asks where he is to Spock. The Shat Kirk asks where he is to Spock, while he is staring directly into Quinto's Spock face. Both Spocks call Dr. McCoy to the bridge. Both Kirks interact briefly with Ohura, but makes it clear he does not recognize her. Each Kirk catches their reflection in a shiny bridge surface and does not recognize the man staring back in the reflection. The McCoys enter the bridge with hypos in hand, just as one Kirk blames the Q for his odd reality-bending surroundings, the other Kirk blames Trelane. Both doctors take captains down from behind with well-placed hypos. The DeForest McCoy tells Spock he has the con and gets Kirk to the sickbay. The Urban McCoy tells Spock to leave the medical decisions to the professionals when Spock asks him if tranquilizing the captain against his wishes was really necessary. Later in sickbay, the Kirks are explaining to the unfamiliar Spock and McCoys before them what has been going on. It's their enterprise, but only it's not. Kirk asks about the anomaly Spock was reporting on. A localized fluctuation in space-time, Spock explains. McCoy points out that the anomaly and Jim losing his marbles is probably not a coincidence. Spock says he has positioned the Enterprise at a safe distance from the anomaly. Each Spock, spe- each Spock sends very different-looking automated probes into the anomalies to find out more about them. At the end of Spock's shift, he enters his quarters thinking about the captain's condition. 
As he is undressing to retire, he ponders the possibility that Kirk may not be the only one feeling the effects of the anomaly. If other crew members report similar experiences, it will confirm the captain's experience is likely linked to the anomaly. As Spock hears rustling in his own room, he calls for lights and sees Lieutenant Uhura in his room. Calling him Honey and saying she did not know he was there. Nimoy Spock is most surprised at the presence of a very different-looking Lieutenant Uhura in his quarters. Elsewhere, a most buxom Nichols Uhura is startled to find a shirtless Quinto Spock next to her in her bed. Both Spocks see Uhuras they do not recognize, and both Uhuras see their Spocks, but they are acting so strange. The Spocks look in a mirror and see someone else staring back. The Spocks say they are experiencing the same hallucinations as the captain. Meanwhile, in engineering, the Scotties have switched places too. The Doohan Scotty, in particular, is disturbed at the sight of Kinzer walking up to him. The Kirks call a briefing with their senior officers, despite the fact that they look like total strangers. They try to figure out what is going on. Kirk says he thinks he knows. Spock explains that he thinks the anomaly is disturbing space-time in a way that is giving them glimpses into parallel realities. The entire bridge crew admits to seeing strange things that a parallel reality might explain. Sulu seeing his bridge controls turn into a box of holiday lights. McCoy saying he no longer recognizes his patients. Each Kirk says they can leave the area and likely put things back to normal. But if they stay, they can learn so much more. Chekhov reports they reestablished contact with their probe. But it's not the probe they sent out. Next, series finale. That was a little confusing. It was a little confusing. It's better if you could look at it and read it, as opposed to trying to explain it. Right. So, I tried to use the actors' names. Right. So, uh, So if you haven't read the book, which I'm assuming you have if you're listening to the podcast. Probably. um, Each page is broken off into halves, right? So, the top half is always based in the original Taz universe, and the bottom half is always based... In the Kelvin universe. So, um, and then the actors might jump from the top to the bottom, right? Depending on if they were zapped into the other universe. But right. the uh, the top is always Taz and the bottom is always Kelvin. And I thought that was a good way to, to that, keep it That straight. was helpful. <laughs> that was helpful. And this one, they're basically doing the exact same story on both the top and the bottom. Right. Uh, so they're often saying the exact same things. Or variations of the same thing in every yeah. panel. So, at least in the next issue, even though they keep the top always being Taz and the bottom being uh, Kelvin, at least in the next issue, they're kind of like it's the top part is what you expect the, both universes are saying, and then the bottom is basically what both universes are saying instead of repeating the exact same lines over and over again like this one does. Right. But uh, but yeah, it, it, something that you could only get away with in a comic book. You couldn't make a movie like this and have, you know, the top half being one thing and the bottom half being another, and and, and letting expecting the uh, readers or 
viewers to know what what the heck's going on. So yeah, it's an interesting um, interesting storytelling medium. It, it is. It's just it's a one trick pony. So and the trick is the gimmick is just swapping the different characters from the different timelines, and that's right. really it. That is all it is. Agreed. Now that's now mind you, it's kind of interesting to investigate that. Okay, we've investigated it. So now the next issue should have something cool for this swapped sets of this two swapped sets of crews to do, right? You know, something interesting like Klingons or something. <laughs> Huzzah! Let's let's see what happens. Or maybe CQ on the top part and Trillane. Trillane on the bottom. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That would be interesting. I mean, they were already mentioned. Yeah, they'd be great. Yeah, we'll see. Now, um, I have lots and lots of uh, problems with this story. Um, it started <laughs> off great. I, I loved it that uh, the two Kirks wake up and everything's different but the same. And you know, even you know, all the controls are different but same. But but they're where I'm supposed to be, and I know how to use them. You know, and then he gets to the bridge, and it's different. And then he starts looking at people's faces and say, you know, to Quinto, he's like, you're not Spock, we're Spock. And to Leonard Nimoy, the Pine Kirk is saying yeah. the same thing. That's where I lost it. That's where the story lost all credibility to me because we, the viewers, the people who love Star Trek, know that it's two different actors playing those those characters. But to have those characters realize or acknowledge that it's different actors, different faces – well, that, that different faces. The story. It took me out of the story because because even old Spock, when he was looking at Quinto Spock in the 2009 movie, he said, you're me. I know who you are because you look exactly like me. He saw Kirk and recognized him. Hey, you're Captain Kirk. He wasn't. Told yeah. Captain Kirk. He's like, oh, yeah, you look just like my friend William Shatner back when we were in the Academy or whatever. He didn't say, who are you? Oh, you're Kirk. You must be Kirk from this universe. No, and from the character's point of view, these people should look exactly the same all the time. I would buy that the technology could be different because of the different timelines, but I don't buy that they can't. They can see the difference in the actors. Is that making sense? No. It. It. it what you're saying makes sense, and it never occurred. That never occurred to me. Oh, I was more the flip side of that. Because I'm I'm looking at these different actors' faces, and I'm saying clearly different. So two different dimensions, two different timelines. The ships don't look the same. I mean, well, they do, but but no, and the details are not the same. You know, the the shiny probe coming out of the reboot Enterprise is a lot slicker and nicer looking than the the decidedly retro '60s version. Um, and I was thinking of it more, hey, you know, I mean, I'm sure you could tell, hey, he's a, he's a Vulcan. And hey, he's got a, a Mo Howard haircut. And, uh, you know, he he's talking like Spock, but, you know, so, but, you know, say, you don't look like Spock, but you must be Spock. What's going on? I'd, I'd expect more like that than just right. saying you're not my, you're not Spock. Who are you? But I don't know. Right. So maybe somewhere how, in the middle, but but you but you you have a good you you bring up a good point though. I had that had not even crossed my mind. 
Yeah. No, that that really ticked me off. And, and in fact, it kind of ruined the whole story for me. I mean, it, had, it started off with so much promise in those first, like, three or four pages. Well, but... And then as soon as that happened, I was just like, okay, uh, it doesn't make sense. Okay, but you do realize they're not just people from a different time period. I mean, uh, look at the ships. The ships are not the same. Not by a country ships, miles. But they're still supposed to be the same people. Well, they're supposed to be, but okay, right. yeah. So you're saying because the Kelvin went back in time, because the uh, Nero went back in time and caused the ripples to the time effect that suddenly Kirk okay. would grow up to look like Pine instead of Shatner? Uh, what I'm saying is... They couldn't put the same Enterprise on a nineteen, you know, a two thousand nine movie. No, <laughs> They'd be no. laughed out of the theater. So <laughs> it's different. It's upgraded, and they they had to get different actors in there. And that's just the reality. Theoretically, right. I agree with what you're saying, Donovan. Theoretically, I agree with what you're saying, but that's not what we're seeing, right? In any way, shape, or form. Well, like I said, in those but. first five pages, when the Kirks are like. This is different. Yeah. Same but different. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. You're right. It is same. The the costumes are same but different. The 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 ship is same but different. But then as soon as they started saying people don't look the same and not even be able to tell who's who because they're different actors, well, that that's the part that just didn't make sense to me because yeah. the the Enterprise is supposed to look more advanced because because suddenly the the Nero showed up, destroyed the Kelvin and, you know, in my mind, it meant that the Federation had to beef up their, um, you know, had to make better ships than what we got in the original series. At least that's how I've always kind of explained why the ships look so much different. <laughs> you, and and my explanation was uh, they had a lot better budget. <laughs> yes, technology and budget is definitely a factor. <laughs> okay. But I'm also, and I also. Can I'm, make digging, I'm digging. I'm digging what you're saying. I'm digging what you're saying. I can also make the argument that it's supposed to be the same, right? This is how we, the viewers, get to see it look. But oh my god, that's is, that's so meta. Is, is that meta? Is that the right word? I don't yeah, know. That, I don't. that 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 is that is something. You know, kind of like we're just perceiving it that way. Actually, it is the same. Bumpy-headed Klingons are really just Klingons. We just. Uh, just see them differently. <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying uh, I didn't like that part. I would have liked it better if we, the reader, saw which version was in which universe. But for them, the characters, not to make such a big deal that you don't look like my Spock or you don't look like my Ahura or you don't look like my McCoy. Uh, that that's the part that I didn't like. Yeah, them making comments about like Kinzer being there and and Scotty saying, "Get away from me, you wee little monster!" Love that <laughs> stuff, right? You know me too. things like that. I thought was good. Um, you know, acknowledging the differences, but just don't acknowledge. And, and, and you would think there would be some differences. Sure. But but actually, the same people looking different. Yeah, I'll give it to you on that one. I'll give it to you on that. They shouldn't look different. To them, to us, they can look different, but to the the characters themselves, they shouldn't notice a difference. Wow, that is something. That's that's all good theory there. 
Okay. Well, cool. my theory doesn't hold hold any water now that they've come out with these books. Except these books aren't canon, so I'm still right. Oh, you think this is not canon? No, I'm pretty sure it's not canon. No? I, oh, well, I doubt mean, they make reference well, to it in the next Star Trek movie. Well, the, the movie folks are going to do whatever they want to. I mean, hell, they supposedly ignored an entire movie, supposedly, in the a darkness. One third of Supposedly. The now, the interesting – I have something to say about that particular statement when we get to the uh, first Go Boldly issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. They make reference to it. They do make reference to it. It's kind of cool. Anyway, but it kind of breaks what supposedly – well, whatever. Okay, as far as this issue is concerned, though, I don't have a lot more to say except that I think the art is very good. I think in most cases they did a very good job of drawing all the actors. They look well. Uh, I like the, the the ships look good. The probes they have sending out, I think they did a really good job with those. I especially like the uh, the Taws probe they sent out. Did, did we ever see the little fins and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. With, so it's got the little uh, the front of the nacelle thing on it, even though it's not warp capable, probably. Um, but they, they got that there, and they got almost like the little. It almost looks like a little propeller thing on it, and then it's got those little things that come out the side. You know, it. I think it's kind of cool. It's it's just a little All schlocky, right. but I like it. Well, he, he, here's how I think they made it. So, okay. Let's pretend like this was an episode, and you were the special effects guy. Okay. And they're like, <laughs> all right, Ken, you're our special effects wizard. Make us a probe. Okay. And you like look around, and you're like, what? I, oh, what can I make this out of? Here's one of McCoy's hypo sprays. Oh, there you go. Two little fins on it, and it will be our probe. And they're ah. like, oh, it's genius. We didn't need that hypo spray anyways, because it looks just like a hypo spray. Uh, Maybe. yeah, kind of. Like the old school McCoy one, not not the newer, the newer yeah, one. Yeah, w- with like a little nacelle thing stuck on the front. Yeah, but even, yeah, but even, there was a little tip to, wasn't there like a little red tip or something to uh, McCoy's, where he would like press on it or something? Yeah, well, I don't remember it being, well, to, yeah. To make it go, tss. Sure, sure. Although this is amber and it's glowing. Right, right. You know, like, like the front of the day. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. That's fine. I'm just saying that. The shape <laughs> <is very laughs> simple. There you go. I like that. I like that. But no, I loved it. I thought it looked really cool. And then I thought the uh, the the Kelvin one looked you know, like your basic, like the, like a little ship almost. Yeah, you know? it's a little. It my, like a little defiant. Exactly. So the little engines look a little bit like uh, like defiant. And the front of it, I kind of recognize. Oh, that's what it is. The front of it looks like an RCA plug. You yeah. know, like you used to use. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's the red plug. It's, 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 it's like the little red. That's it. It's like the red plug. Like your audio right there. You, you used to do connect cassette decks up to your receivers. It's funny how people don't use cassette decks. And, you know, I don't know how often people use receivers anymore. But that RCA cable, that's what it reminds me of. That is hilarious. No, I agree with you 100% that the art I loved, and I, I really loved the uh, quantum leap scenes where somebody would look into the mirror, and then it's the other right looking back. Or right. Looking back. I, I loved yeah. I loved those shots. That's good. So, uh, no, it was great. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the book for what they were trying to do. Right. It's just that they kept hammering it in, that everybody looked different, that every time they mentioned it, I was just like, oh. Take me out every single time you do it. <laughs> okay. One last comment. There's some particular spots 
like there's a spot where they they draw Shatner's face when he enters the Kelvin timeline bridge, mm-hmm. and he looks straight out. I mean, it looked like it was drawn straight out of a uh, still from an episode. Right, with those his eyes bulge, bulging out on a, a little bit. You know, he's looking over. Was it left? He's looking over his left shoulder or something. Yeah, looking anyway. over his left shoulder. Yep. Right. So it reminded me completely of a scene that is like in my mind from the uh, from the show. No, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And that's really all I have to say about it. All right, me too. So uh, we'll jump on into the next one and see how not only do they get out of this, but uh, how they you know, ramp up the action a little bit to finish off the, the 60-issue so- series. Cool. So a, a big a big Klingon thing or something? Or, or like a big... Space battle? I bet the Borg show up. Ah! Don't get ahead of yourself. <laughs> uh, that was an unintentional. All right. <clears throat> so issue number 60 has a cover date of August 2016. Uh, it only had two covers, which I thought was odd for uh, the big finale, since they had more than two covers on their last issue. But uh, the main issue is basically a mirror of the main cover for issue number 59, except this is the right half of the uh, Kelvin Enterprise, and then we see depictions of all the main cast uh, around it. So if you put the two covers together, it makes a nice little panoramic of both Enterprises and both crews. And then the subscription cover shows the Pine era or the Pine Kirk sitting on the command chair with Quinto Spock standing behind him. So the story continues with both the classic Taz Enterprise and the Kelvin Enterprise inspecting the counterpart probe that was launched by the other Enterprises in the last issue. As they are inspecting it, the Scotties switch place. Shortly, Spock is also switched. In both universes, Scotty and Spock visit McCoy in sickbay. McCoy, through scanning, concludes that... They are indeed different Scotties and different Spocks that just look exactly the same to him, right? Because the characters don't recognize that the actors are now different. Think Quantum Leap. Anyways, back on the bridge, uh, the two Ohoras are able to decipher an alien message that states something like, Minds are the same, but not the same. Trapped like you. The crew speculate that the anomaly that appeared in both universes at the same time is not only trapping the two Enterprises, but is trapping two alien forces from one from each timeline. Both Kirks state that they need to help free these aliens, along with themselves. Time is running out, however, as the two Enterprises start to kind of merge into one another. So we see Chekhov and Sulu becoming like hybrids of the two versions. The two Enterprises each launch a special photon torpedo that they whipped up that will actually rip the fabric of space-time. With the detonation of the two torpedoes at the same time, the two timelines are corrected and the anomaly is gone. With everything back to normal and the crisis over, the two Kirks read the files from their other selves and each see paths not taken and how that each one 
led a different road that led to the same place. So they're on the same mission. And then the final page isn't really part of the story, but it's a photo of Anton Yulchin with the dates of 1989 to 2016. The end. Ah, Anton. That's a drag. Yeah, it's really sad. 1989. Good lord, he was young. He was a youngin. Hmm. Oh, well. Uh, but he's left us with some uh, good movies. Star Trek as well as Terminator. And mm-hmm. um, he's been in other ones that were pretty good, too. So, Yeah, uh, he was in... Um, what was that Dean Koontz book that he was... That they adapted... Right. He um, he was the guy that could see the dead or something. Right. Right. Uh, what was the name of that? I forgot I the name say of it. Old boy, but I know that's not it. No, it's that's not old boy. boy. I think boy was in the cover title somewhere. Yeah. Anyways, I, uh, I haven't seen it, but it looks really good. Well, the movie was okay. I saw the movie. Mm. He was good in it, but I liked the book better because I read the book before seeing the movie. Right. And. Uh, I liked, you know, it, it kind of sort of sort of followed the book a bit, but it went off on its own way, too. Right. He was also in a movie called The Green Room, which has... Uh, yes, with Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I have that one. I have not watched it yet. I have not watched it either yet, although uh, Patrick Stewart is, is indeed supposed to be a nasty villain. Right. Yeah, that's... I've... Uh, I still have the uh, Netflix DVD service, and I've had that one for a couple of months now. So they just ah. – they, they love me. Oh, you're paying extra to get these DVDs, and you keep it? <laughs> I so, need to just watch it and mail it back. I didn't even know they still did do D- – I, I didn't know that they still did DVDs. I thought they cut all that off. They threatened to do it a while back, but uh, people complained, and they backed off on that. So they still have their DVD service, and they have their uh, online service. So other than this disc, do you use it? Uh, it goes in spurts. Sometimes I go through them pretty quick, and then other times I mean, because they're all online, right? No, not all of them. Oh, okay. So some things you can only get through a disc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just, hmm. like, just like Hulu and anything else, they have a... They have a list of movies that come and go and TV series that come and go um, on their online one. But you could always get it on the disc. Cool. Okay. So, yep. Okay. So, yeah, back to the book. So, okay, it's just mostly more the same thing. The crew's jumping back and forth. And we're not really – I mean, quite frankly, this whole story about this non-corporeal creature – you know, that made this whole thing possible, the switching and everything. You know, nobody cares about it. I mean, yeah, really you don't... On completely. I mean, okay, so it it made the swapping possible, and it wanted to be free somehow, and let's just throw a photon torpedo at it. So, I don't know. It's just, it's just very... It's just something they tacked on, agreed, to make to explain how you could have this situation where the two crews can be swapping back and forth, and that's it. Right, and I thought that it was. I really just thought it was just to give uh, Ahura something to do. 
right ah. to show off both both Ahuras are able to decipher this alien message because I don't think you need the alien entity being trapped as an explanation as to why they're swapping. It could just be the anomaly itself is swapping people. I I, I did not understand why they had to throw in this this entity uh, thing. This creature. Wow. And what I would have liked more is if they actually had to work together in some way. Where, well, where, they did work together, but not really. One, they couldn't. It was never to the point where they wouldn't have been able to figure it out on their own. I mean, yes, the squad, the the Scotty would switch places and the Spock would switch places, but they were still all doing the same thing, right? They were yep. still coming to the same conclusions. They were still doing the same thing to each ship. Regardless to which crew members were being swapped over at it at any given time, so that that was the part I didn't really like. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are lots of parts I didn't like. <laughs> Quite frankly, I mean, it, it was starting to get a little tiring, right? But which is really sad because you know, for sixty last years, issue, I've wanted to see this crossover. I've yep. wanted to see Taz and Kelvin universes somehow crossover. And then when they finally do it, it starts off with five great pages, and then the rest of it is just either plot points that I really don't like or just doing the exact same thing but in two different universes. Right. There was a great book where the next generation and the original series kind of crossed over for the first time, mm-hmm. and they were both, both ships were inside of a black hole mm-hmm. in the event horizon of a black hole, mm-hmm. and – they kind of had to work together. Uh, the Enterprise D knew what the other ship was, but the Enterprise didn't know that it was a futuristic version of itself. Sure. It just knew that it was some sort of ship, and they were able to somehow communicate without without the Enterprise D giving it away who they were, that they were from the future with future tech. Oh. And they were able to both kind of you know, do something with their deflector shields or tractor beams. I can't remember, but somehow they were both able to kind of slingshot each other out of the – out of the event horizon and, and back into their normal timelines. I loved that. I loved that they were both ships needed the other one in order to get out and they had to work together um, to get out. Whereas this, like I said, they seem like they both kind of came up with the same solution without really needing the help of the other one. Right. And did they need to have, did they need to shoot the photon torpedoes from both sides, from both dimensions to make it happen? That it doesn't say. It just says nah. that they're going to. So who knows? Yeah. But maybe okay. they talk. Maybe they talk to each other more than than I'm giving them credit for. Maybe there was there was more like. Well, as soon I, as I go over, I'll pass this message. Well, there wasn't, but I mean, they weren't. But the crews were uh, were swapped on both ships, and they were both contributing to the solution. So, I don't know. In ways, both crews did come up with the solution on both sides. I mean, and maybe they did need to both fire the photon torpedo, which, by the way, is a very lame way to release the entity. When in doubt, shoot a photon torpedo. Exactly, baby. That's very not next-gen. Next-gen would have come up with some amazing techno-babble to explain some harmonic residents or something that they need to do, <laughs> they often did not have to resort to just firing a four-ton torpedo at things. Right. 
when I was a kid and I thought that I would be a, a comic book writer or something, I used to draw a lot of Star Trek comics. And mm-hmm. I, I will tell you right now, nine out of ten of my stories ended with you fire a photon torpedo at it, blows up, and you get away. <laughs> so, uh, well, I hate to say this, or maybe it's maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but I think a lot of the JJ verse is just in many cases dumbed down where they don't talk about tech. And maybe that's good because they're trying to appeal to a broader audience, but right. You know, if you're two or 300 years in the future, you know, you're probably going to know some things we don't know now. Although I got to say, sometimes the next gen techno babble got kind of thick. Ah, it was all good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, sometimes it got a little overboard, but yeah. Well, we haven't – we're about to review it, but Boldly Go, I thought, does a good job of bringing back the Technobabble and you know bringing back like warp factors and things like that, which I feel has been missing from both the ongoing stories and the three movies that we've had so far. Yeah. So uh, there's, a, there's a lot in Boldly Go that I'm like, yes, this is Star Trek. This is getting back to, to the Star Trek I, I like. Well, yeah. Now – not that I don't like the, the movies. I completely agree. I I loved the, the 2009 movie. I loved them all. I loved all three of them. But there was a oh, certain yeah. there was a certain thing, a certain aesthetic that was brought into the films um, that I think a lot of it came from J.J. Abrams, but maybe not. Maybe other people too. Where. Everything was just a little bit too white, and everything was just a little bit too silver and a little bit too shiny, and very way overlit. Uh, which, of course, ultimately leads to lens flares. So I and dumbed down, and let's not talk about shields, and everybody goes at the same speed, and warp factor, blah, 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 blah. and um, I'm glad they're getting back to the back to their roots a bit. Right. I agree with you. Well, not only that, but then when they do talk about tech, it's, you know, I know this is all impossible stuff, but they even, like, even more impossible than any other tech we've ever described on Star Trek in all of its 50 years, right? So, transport beaming, and uh, what was, oh yeah, magic con blood, and uh, you know, Oh, magic and con blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everything had something that was just so over the top of anything that you could possibly deem as feasible that that it kind of takes you out. Yeah, um, and Beyond has it too. Yeah, with, uh, yeah, supernovas that can go over amazing distances uh, and, and not dissipate in the energy it's outputting. Yeah, yeah, whole quadrants. Yeah, well, yeah. It, no, that's. I'm sorry. That that seems so ridiculous. That's not how science works. Well, and and really, the super space amoeba and the, ori- <laughs> <and> the original <laughs> Taz. <laughs> hey, 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 don't be talking about my, my amoeba. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember watching that episode, you know, when I was in like sixth grade or whatever, and we're right. learning about amoebas, single cell uh, amoebas in uh-huh. school. And then I watched that episode and I'm like, oh my God, this is what we're learning in school. You know, and I thought it was a really great, uh, great way to, you know, 
yes, I know this is fiction, and, and I, yes, it's a giant one and, and whatever, but, <laughs> but still, I was able to relate what I was seeing on the screen to what I was learning at school, and it just... That's cool. That's uh, and good. then I was like, I bet this is why they made this episode, because, you know, in the 60s, kids were taking biology and stuff at school, and mm-hmm. uh, this was kind of their, you know, kind of a a way to connect school to fun, and... Uh, I don't know. That's the way I. That's the way I took it, and and hopefully, uh, cool. Hopefully, other kids out there over the fifty years have have come to the same conclusion. Yeah, and maybe not just from Star Trek, but maybe Batman. Mm-hmm. I had. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna make this quick. <laughs> I had a uh, grade school teacher named Mr. McGrath, and he actually, for out of the blue start singing the praises of the Batman TV series because of their vocabulary. They they use some very big words in the dialogue and things. And he thought mm-hmm. that was great. And he actually had some of the had some of the um the words from the TV show in the script that that was our spelling thing that we did. Oh that's cool. and I thought that was very cool of him. No, and I agree with your teacher 100%. Uh, recently, the Batman Return to, of the Cape Crusaders mm-hmm. uh, continuation of the Adam West series and mm-hmm. animated form came out, and uh, we went, my family and I went and saw it at the theater, and I was explaining to my son, who's 10, why I loved the 60s show so much, and I was like, it's just because when they're talking, they're just using all these great adjectives and stuff that you would have never, you would never use in normal speech. And it just flows. It's almost like, like a song or poetry or something that it's just like, and it makes no sense if you think about it too hard. But when, you're, <laughs> when you're listening to it, you're just like, man, I wish I could, I wish I could speak like that. We'd just come up with all these words and, and then we watched it. And then when it was over, he was like, yeah, I see what you're saying now. <laughs> oh, cool. Good. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. cool that your teacher brought that up and used that as, yeah. a, as a learning opportunity. Right. Mr. McGrath was like a big, Irish, Scotch guy, ancestry, whatever. He looked more like a, an ex-football player or something, but yeah, he was pretty interesting guy. Okay, so on the last page, you know where they're kind of looking at each other's, um, the Kirks are looking at each other's uh, history tapes or whatever? Mm-hmm. There was some... Okay, so where Pine's looking at Chat's reality, let me get to the last page. Is, is is that guy in the uniform supposed to actually be a younger Kirk, or is that supposed to be his, uh, Shatner's father? I was assuming that it was supposed to be Shatner's father. Okay. That that in this universe, uh, his father didn't die, and you know that's that's him playing catch with him in in Iowa, and then right. this was that was him, uh, his dad as as yeah. an older person, maybe working with Captain April and stuff like that, as he did in some of the expanded universe novels and things. Right. Okay. That's who I thought it was, but I could also see the argument that it's supposed to be a young Shatner too. Exactly. Cause I was looking at that. I wasn't quite sure which, uh, but it, you know, it doesn't the, look the, like Shatner. <clears throat> so that's why I was leaning. No, towards if it looks like anybody, it looks like pine. Kinda, uh, yeah. and he, and he's big enough that maybe they're trying to get him to look a little bit like, um, Thor. I'm not quite sure. Emsworth. <laughs> But right. but the face is really looks more more like pine. It so I, I was a little I was a little confused about that. But yep, I could see that. 
I did like how when Shatner's like uh, reading about Chris Pine's Kirk, mm-hmm. there's a there's a shot of Chris Pine dead. <laughs> right, exactly against the bulkhead. So that's funny. Yeah, and he, and he's got such a uh, such a little a little smile on his face at the chat. Right, and it's like, oh, I died. Oh, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but he did really did. Yeah, the little thought boxes that are there really doesn't talk about that. No, no, no. Okay. It is funny that in uh, <clears throat> in Shat when Shatner's what Shatner's little box shows was Chris Pine in three different scenes from the 2009 and Into Darkness movie. Right. Whereas uh, Chris Pine's little box only shows Shatner from Space Seed. Right, and then the other the other two pictures are are probably not Shatner. Right, yeah, and and further back in time in the childhood. Right, yeah. Now they could have shown Pine in the Corvette going over the uh, the mountain exactly. top. They could have done that. Shown, they should have shown that instead of you know to kind of parallel the the boy throwing the ball to his dad. Exactly. Right. When you've got a father, you play ball. When you don't have a father, you become a juvenile delinquent. And and destroy your father's... Stepfather's. Exactly. I thought it was his dad's that that became... That his stepfather then... Oh, is that what happened? I thought that's what the novel said. Oh, the novel. I I didn't read the novel. And that was kind of why he destroyed it was because... To keep it away from the stepfather? ...and that his stepfather was calling it his and stuff. Oh, okay. That's a nuance I did not get. I knew he didn't like his stepfather, and he knew he wanted to get rid of the car because his stepfather loved it, but even more of a jab in the eye if it was actually not his originally. Huh. Stepfather's. Originally. Yeah, I think that's what the novel says, the cool. Alan D. Foster novel. Okay. Speaking of novel, did they come out with a novel for um, Star Trek Beyond? Uh, I'm sure they did, but I have not seen it. I wouldn't doubt. I mean, of course, they do a novelization of everything. Yeah, but I don't know. If if they didn't make one, then it's the first Star Trek movie to not get a novelization. Hmm. Hmm. That's sad. Well... There's a lot of merchandising that didn't happen with Beyond. Right. Yeah, it was kind of uh, a lot of stuff was missed. Right. So we, we were just talking earlier today. Now that the Beyond DVD is out at Blu-ray, etc., they've got a little bonus, you know, incentive to buy. They've got little ship things, ship figurines, whatever you want to call them, that come along with the package from a couple different from Amazon, from Walmart, etc. And the Franklin. The Franklin is a cool ship. I would love to have the Franklin in some form, but I don't. And uh, at least so far, uh, Eagle Moss doesn't have one. And neither, as far as I know, um, uh, Diamond Select. So the only place I've ever even seen it available currently is from these uh, these bundled things. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah, their whole mar- merchandising was was horrible with with Star Trek Beyond because yeah. there was no toys, there was no, there was nothing. So Hot Wheels came out with a line of Star Trek Hot Wheel things, which was just basically the Enterprise mm-hmm. from from the two thousand nine movie, mm-hmm. and that's it. And and I was just like, and it was a new line, right? They were like, it's the Star Trek line, and it was all yeah. like ships from 
that weren't from Star Trek Beyond. And I was I was really disappointed that, you know, nothing came out from the ships that were in that movie. The the new Enterprise, I would have loved the A. Sure. And uh the Kelv the not Kelvin, the Franklin. I mean just Right. Oh. Yeah. So anyways. Probably eventually. Uh I, I was really hoping so this year's uh Hallmark ornament. Get one every year. Right. I mentioned it to you. Uh I actually just got it in the mail. Picked it up on Amazon. And it's uh, a rather tacky gold original Enterprise. I mean original oh, yeah, Enterprise. Right. It's pilot. got the nipples. That, exactly. So it's from the Menagerie or from the original pilot, uh, the cage. And it's got nipples and everything on the nacelles. So, which is nice. It's, it's nice to have an Enterprise with nipples. But, you know, I kind of would have rather had a, uh, a Franklin. Right, or an Enterprise A because they do look different now. Now that the movie's out, I've I have seen more of the Enterprise A, and, and mm-hmm. there definitely is differences between <clears throat> the uh, two thousand nine Enterprise and the Enterprise yes, A. Exactly. Yep. I would have loved a toy, any kind of toy of or model or whatever of of that new ship, that new yeah. design. Well, but you nothing. see it so briefly, you may not see that until the next movie. May not. But, right. But I hope we will eventually. So also, if we're talking about merchandising, there isn't a lot. However, a Novus that makes uh, uniforms and stuff, clothing. And they also, sell, they also sell some of the, you know, badges and things like that. Uh, they're finally coming out with um, uniforms. Beyond uniforms? Beyond uniforms. Okay. So you can actually you can order. They're not actually they're not shipping yet, but you can actually order the uh, the standard uh, tunics, which look nice. Uh, and they're even going to come out with the uh, what they call the survival jackets. You know, so the what they used after they came out of the pods on the planet. Right. I would like to see a uh, the outfit of the Kelvin. You know, that kind of looked like. Oh, like uh, Spock wore? The jacket? Yeah, more of what they were showing in like the... the oh, the videos? The videos and stuff. Oh, You well. know, because I loved it because it kind of reminded me of the... I thought they did a good job of kind of... Like this is the progression of what uh, Archer wore. Right? right. So it was kind of right. a... Should be a preset, not too, not predecessor. Not too far from where, where Archer was. Right. And I like that. I thought yeah. that was actually pretty good. Cool. Yeah, it was. All right, well, so issue 60 wrapped up the five-year comic book mission of uh, IDW had with the ongoing. And it unfortunately ended in a whimper. What do you think? Yeah, kind of a whimper. Even though it should have been great, the crossover that you always wanted. Exactly. But didn't turn out to be that great a story. So shall we move on to perhaps the launching of a new and wonderful Endeavor, a new and wonderful enterprise? I am ready, but I do want to throw out one more thing. Oh, sure. Um, remind me when when Kirk and this Kirk went to the future and went to Deep Space Nine and people looked at Chris Pine, did, did they say, oh, you're Captain Kirk. You were missing from history for the last 50, 80 years. 
or did they say, who are you? You don't look anything like Captain Kirk. Uh, I, they said the former, I guess, as I recall. That's the way I remember it, too. So mm-hmm. just throwing that out there as more ammunition towards... Your way of thinking. They should... Nobody, nobody in-universe should recognize that they're different. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so I'm doing the first issue, number one, of Star Trek Boldly Go. Uh, there's no t- specific title that I found. So uh, let's just do it. October 2016. Writer, Mike Johnson. Art, Tony Shastain. Actually, a lot of the same people are involved. As a matter of fact, all the same people are involved. So I'm not going to repeat them again over definitely uh, 59. I think 60 use the same people too. But same production staff. And they do a wonderful job. Okay, so since this is the first issue, we have a whopping five covers. Okay, boy. So cover A features Spock, Kirk, and Uhura transported onto a jagged black planet's surface with phasers drawn. The art look is very new uh, for the Star Trek comics. I know I've never seen any artwork quite like this personally. And the way they they depicted the uh, the three main characters here uh, are, in my opinion, skinnier, even skinnier and younger than they are in the reboot movies. Not sure why they keep doing that. Maybe to draw a more youthful audience. I don't know. The cover is by George Kaltsodas. Kaltsodas? Something like that. Cover B, they just went ahead and took the easy route and took a a movie poster from Star Trek Beyond and plastered it on the cover. This particular one has Kirk in the upper half with the uh, swarming drone ships attacking the Enterprise uh, in the center and a big bright white Starfleet kind of swooshy thing as a backlighting for the battle. Star Trek Boldly Go comic book series title is at the bottom, which is interesting. At the bottom instead of the top. Retailer incentive cover is Kirk. (laughs) It's a Kirk paper figure toy kind of thing, complete with several changes of clothing by Mark Laming. I really don't think people are going to cut up the cover to be able to use the different clothing, which even has little paper tabs, fold-over tabs, to kind of hold it on, Kirk. Uh, It's kind of funny. It reminds me of of some toy thing from when you were a kid. And one of the tabs that you can add to your Kirk, one accessory is a Tribbles. So that's pretty awesome. It doesn't get much better than that. Okay, the sketch cover is a is all white except for the IDW logo and the title Star Trek Boldly Go in silver letters at the top. The the fifth and final one is um, is a cover that's basically just showing uh, Kirk uh, a drawing of Kirk uh, in his new Star Trek Beyond uniform tunic, and there's some backgrounds with transfer papers. I guess I think it's transfer papers. Anyway, it's pretty straightforward. Prologue. Months after the events of Star Trek Beyond, the crew of the Enterprise have been reassigned to new ships and new roles. Some have chosen to spend time away from Starfleet. Others have embarked on new opportunities. The galaxy enjoys a fragile peace. On the USS Endeavor, the bridge crew is gossiping about the new captain. Outlandish, as well as mundane comments are made. Such as, 
I heard he has augmented blood. He's basically a mortal. He's shorter than I thought. And more. Captain James T. Kirk breaks up the gossip fest, but makes a joke saying he heard nothing. The captain asks for and receives ship status from his young-looking bridge crew. Number one. Commander Velas, a lovely, pointy-eared, red-haired lady, reports they will be arriving at the Pelion system in one hour. Science officer, Lieutenant Elix, a lovely, bright-eyed, and eager young woman. Comms officer, Lieutenant Morcia, who has one hand up to his left ear, as all good comm officers do. At helm, Lieutenant Darwin who is the sole familiar face for Kirk. At the con, Captain Kirk addresses the entire crew, speaking well of Captain DeBreeze, who recently retired, and saying he looks forward to what discoveries they will be making together the next year while he is their interim captain. Always the curmudgeon, Dr. McCoy drawls how inspirational Kirk's address is. Address to the crew. McCoy's slightly surlier-than-normal demeanor is somewhat explained when the ship's senior doctor, Chief Grofus, rides him for a survey the chief asked McCoy for 15 minutes ago. McCoy accepts being ridden like a rented mule by the old Tellerite and moves on to complete the survey, saying he should have, it, he should have gone with Spock. On New Vulcan, Spock is a... A new Vulcan, Spock is in a smart-looking black robe, conferring with his father. Sarek is commenting on how quickly Natoya has acclimated to Vulcan and seems to be in no hurry to return to Starfleet. Spock admits to initial trepidation when Natoya wanted to join him on his sabbatical on Vulcan, but he is pleased she came. Natoya joins them on the spacious balcony where the three enjoy the striking desert sunset of New Vulcan. On Earth, Scotty is addressing a very large audience of cadets. He is discussing safety check procedures on Constitution-class starships. Ever prickly, Scotty puts a mouthy Andorian cadet in his place with ease and efficiency. Cut to the USS Concord, a single nacelled Starfleet vessel under the command of Captain Terrell. Where have I heard that name before? and his first officer, Commander Hikaru Sulu. Sulu is still getting used to the idea of being first officer. After all, it's Spock who Sulu always thinks of when it comes to that rank. Through Sulu and his captain's conversation, we will learn they are on a six-month mission to the outer edge of Federation space. Suddenly, the helmsman reports incoming ship approaching at high warp. Shields are raised and a channel is opened. They cannot understand the metallic sound, but they start working on a translation. When they put the visual up, Captain Terrell can only say, What in the name of God? Meanwhile on the Endeavor, Kirk, McCoy, and Chekhov are discussing McCoy's displeasure working under the devil herself. McCoy asks Jim what he thinks of having a Romulan first officer with sarcasm clearly communicating the doctor's distrust towards the Romulan. Chekhov comes to her defense, but before Kirk can respond, 
his Romulan number one calls him to the bridge. When he arrives, he reports the Concord has been broadcasting a distress call. Current location is near the Delta Quadrant border. They also pick up an unfamiliar signal that so far they can't decipher. Kirk says he knows someone who can. He orders Mercia to send copies of the transmissions to Lieutenant Uhura on Vulcan. Kirk decides, as the nearest ship, they will heed the call and orders an intercept course with the Concord. Warp 7! Valus cuts in, suggesting Warp 8. On Vulcan, Uhura is working on the translation and passes on dinner. When the Endeavor arrives, they find the broken remains of the Concord. They start beaming over survivors, including Sulu. The survivors start reporting that the ship that attacked them just reached out and grabbed a chunk of the Concord saucer section. They took a lot of the crew, including Captain Terrell. Sulu is finally brought to sickbay. He has significant injuries. Before the sedatives take effect, he is able to say, Resist. At the same time, on Vulcan, Ahura utters the word, Resistance. Gaining the last of his strength, Sulu says, Resistance is futile. To be continued. Hmm. So some other species uses that line? I don't think so! Oh, they're in deep caca now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is... A hundred years before the advancements of the Enterprise-D. And they're coming up against the Borg. Right. Good thing all their technology is about a hundred years advanced from where they would have been in Kirk's time. Or uh, Shatner's timeline. Huh? I'm just saying. It's good good thing Nero came and got them kick-started in their technology. Oh, so, I... So that they that's can a, that's a That's a fascinating theory, which I do not necessarily subscribe to. <laughs> yes. Fascinating. Well, as, as fans of comics, we all know that this will not be the first time Kirk has uh, fought the Borg. They yeah. did it in, the, uh, in those manga comics. Yep. So... And there's uh, Shatner's novels. So uh, when he returned from the dead, wasn't that mm-hmm. through – I hope I'm not ruining anything for people, but through Borg technology or something? Yeah, they brought him back. That's right. Uh, back from the death that took place in Generations. Right, because see, Khan was dead, so they didn't have his super blood. So they had to use Borg technology to bring him back. Exactly. So, okay, whatever. So what do you think? I really liked this story. I thought it was good. I liked uh, seeing this, the actors, or not the actors, excuse me, the characters um, Mm -hmm. off doing their own thing while they're waiting for the Enterprise A to finish its uh, time-lapse built. That, That makes a lot of sense. Um. And the idea that Sulu was able to be a uh, first officer on a different ship, that's great. That's great. Yeah. That's my one nitpick that I wish they would have done different. Okay, go ahead. I, I, wish, I wish it was Chekhov 
and I wish the ship was the Reliant and not the Okay, Concord. okay. Hold on. Okay, so I, th- I say that they purposely put Sulu rather than Chekhov, but you'll know it's the same captain, Captain Terrell. So exactly. why, it's the why same captain. Well, okay. Okay, so here's the deal. With the whole reboot thing, they obviously are consciously – they have a thesis going, which is that some things are the same in the reboot universe and some things are different. And I have not figured out yet what the criteria is that the writers use to figure out what's going to be different and what's going to be the same. But it's almost like it's almost like a chef. You know, they got the ingredients and sometimes they use the same ingredients and sometimes they throw a dash of something new that was never in there before. So I think it's interesting. Um, although Wrath, you know, killing killing Kirkhoff in uh, in the Wrath of Khan reworking uh, that was in the darkness was I don't know it's kind of a questionable call but whatever um, yeah so so you didn't like this call having Sulu instead of Chekhov do it uh, no I would have rather been Chekhov but they do destroy the Concord so maybe this is their explanation as to why Terrell will now be captain of the of the Reliant if he survives and if he isn't a Borg. Right. He he's probably a Borg. He's probably a Borg. I mean, uh, Khan took over Terrell, right? Right. Uh, until he killed himself. So right. the Borg is going to take over Terrell again. But not with little worms. No. not uh, <laughs> With the little spiky, uh, yeah, the, the earwig kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, and my hope, you know, now that, Anton is gone, and uh, I don't want him to recast Chekhov. My hope is that they would have had Captain Terrell, you know, they could have at least said, oh, he's serving aboard the Reliant with Captain Terrell, and that's all they would have to say to explain why he's gone. But if they're going to Borgify him here, and if he's, and if this is considered canon, movie canon, then then I'm going to, now I'm going to be upset when he shows up. Or at least mentioned in the uh, the next movie. Well, they're going to mention him, but yeah. So uh, something I think is very interesting is the fact that he's here. Will they keep him around for a while, or will they? Or you know, at what point will they kill him off, or will they kill him off the, the character Chekhov in in this in this comic series? Because he's going to have to be gone by the time the next movie comes out in a couple of years. Yeah, hopefully they won't kill him off. Just just have him off somewhere else. Okay, well, that's fine, too. But um, if they're not going to recast him in the movies, then um, they're going to have to explain it eventually in the comic book series, too. Right. I agree. Yeah. So, so. okay, so, got to ask. Okay, so this is, this is geek time, uh, theory time. Okay, ha- mm-hmm. Now, we know that the Borg somehow showed up on Earth in Archer's time, or before Archer's time? I, I forgot. I remember there, there was an episode of Enterprise where they found the remains of a Borg sphere or something uh, on Earth, right? 
Right. It was uh it was remnants from First Contact. Oh, that was from First Contact. Right. right. Okay, so okay. When when Enterprise E blew up the Borg sphere, some of it crash landed in the Arctic. Including a drone. Uh right. Okay. Which they then thawed out and it it's the one that created the pseudo Borg vessel that was just trying to get back to the Delta Quadrant. Okay. Okay. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out what's the justification for the Borgs hitting Federation space 100 years earlier in this timeline. Well, here's my theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, We spent at least three or four issues of the ongoing Mm -hmm. with the Enterprise being in the Delta Quadrant somehow, magically. Um, and <laughs> right. that's, that's their, my explanation. If, if the Federation can already be in the Delta Quadrant because they got trans warp drives or whatever it is that makes them be able to go so far, then, then there's no, there's no reason why the board can't, uh, do the same. Well, I don't think it's a question of the Borg not having the ability to travel huge distances. A hundred years prior to when they did, I think it's just a question of them knowing. Oh, there's some interesting stuff over here we haven't been to. Let's go ahead and send a cube over there. Well, the same the same thing that happened in the next generation. Q sent well, okay. them farther than they needed to be. Okay, yes, they had any right to be, and that piqued the Borg's curiosity. Yes, to come and find out. Yes, and. So how did that happen? In in ongoing, the Enterprise went farther than it was supposed to ever have been, went to that world where they were going to be slug food and eventually escaped and made it back home. But, you know, maybe some of those people got assimilated and the Borg was like, hey, there's some other people. So so what the syndicate – was it called the syndicate? Something like that. Yeah, that was it. That was it. So the syndicate, okay. So the syndicate were either absorbed by the warg, or or assimilated, or they were somehow affiliated with the syndicate. So they found out about things. Right. Bingo. That's that's the way. I okay. 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 Maybe I hadn't even thought about those guys. But good point. They did ridiculously go further than they should. Not mind you, they went further than they should because of one. Spatial anomaly, whatever. And then they got back to the Alpha Quadrant with absolutely no stinking explanation. Okay. Right. And and if you remember, it seemed like each issue was kind of retconning the issue before where I think one, it said they were in a different galaxy. Yeah. And then the next issue was saying that they were in the Delta Quadrant. And then the next issue was like, we don't have warp drive yet. We're somehow able to still get home. Implying that they weren't even in the Delta Quadrant, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Th- okay. those well, that wasn't handled well. were very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good enough. Okay, but, so that's your explanation, because I want to hear an explanation here. <laughs> I don't want the door just, the, the Borg to just be knocking on our doors, and they don't explain why they're 100 years early. Right. But even the the Prime timeline contradicted that whole, uh, the whole thing about why the Borg came because, you know, uh, Guinan and Malcolm, uh, Michael McDowell's character were refugees Malcolm from McDowell. the Borg. 
and they were so close to Earth that the Enterprise B coming out of dry dock was the f- closest ship. So they made it, you know, 100 years before the next generation. So why couldn't the Borg? Well, and then it, also, again, I'm, also, not, I'm not saying they got sucked up when she was a kid, which would have happened before Borgs, before Picard. Before Picard and after Taz. Right. Yeah. So I'm just saying that they played pretty loose with when the Borg actually might have showed up. Yeah. I didn't like that, quite no. frankly. That whole origin where somehow the Federation knew about the Borg. I didn't like that at all. Nope. Did not either. No. Continuity-wise, it was bad. Right. And then when they did the whole Generations movie and this ship that was falling apart because they just barely escaped a Borg attack made it to Earth, that also I was just like, that makes no sense. It would have had to have come a long way. planets in between Borg space and Earth that you could have stopped on to get help. Yeah. Why go, go straight to the Earth and then kill off Captain Kirk by uh, calling <laughs> the Nexus Ribbon? Well, the Nexus ribbon, ribbon didn't have anything directly to do with that ship. No, but it's their fault that Kirk fell into it. True. He wouldn't, yeah. The whole Enterprise wouldn't be in position otherwise. Yeah, there, there was there was a few... Plot weirdness. Yeah. Well, hey, plot holes. Hey, yeah. yeah. Anyways, true. but back to this issue. Um, I agree with you. They, I, I did like how you pointed out that they said that they were uh, actually on a mission in, in the Delta Quadrant or scanning nearby the Delta Quadrant. Right. I didn't catch that. They were near the border. So. Yeah. Yeah. So at least that kind of explains why the Borg might be there. Exactly, yeah. I, I do like where they put them. I like their ingress point into the Alpha Quadrant. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. I liked what all the different crew was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was good. I like that, uh, you know, to, um, I almost called her to Paul. Ahura's, you know, trying to make a go at it there on New Vulcan. I, that's I great. That good story. I story think that's story. great. I mean, the whole idea in Beyond is where Spock's thinking of going back and he's thinking of breaking up with her because he's going to start, well, as McCoy says, pumping out little or uh, pumping out little Vulcans. Well, I, I forgot exactly how he Something put like it, that. but uh, but that's cool. So she went with him. That is so cool of her. That she's a cool chick, right? Although I did think she was a bit forceful when she said, um, "I'm not on the Farragut. I'm on the Enterprise," and Spock said. Oh, I believe you are, because otherwise you're going to kill me. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a bit forceful on her side, but I, I, I kind of like how, uh, how Spock caved on that. Agreed. Now, this new Vulcan, is it SETI Alpha 5? Oh, no. They, 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 they found they another, find one. another one. They found another planet. Yeah, okay. Amazingly enough, an arid one. So you can't find a nice planet? You this guys... is the planet they want. This is what they like. Okay, yeah. That's fine. I live in Arizona, so I'm cool with, with desert. But it's really desert on Vulcan. <laughs> really deserty. So uh, we talked about Terrell, right? Terrell yes. made an appearance, mm-hmm. obviously, yep. from Star Trek Two. Yep. There was another character that I was really kind of wondering if it was supposed to be somebody else, and that is... Commander Vallis. 
hmm. the uh, the Vulcan. I guess she's the first officer. Well, she's the first uh, officer, and she's a Romulan. Yeah, she's a Romulan. Now, I thought she, I thought she was a weird-haired Vulcan. It's like okay. why why isn't her hair like black or something? Right. But I mean, well, T'Pol had T'Pol had kind of like dark brown hair, didn't she? It wasn't uh, black. Yeah, right. It was okay. A, there was a little shade to it. Yeah. yeah okay. But, but yeah. when I was reading this and they kept saying Valis, I kept thinking, oh, this is Valeris. This is how they're going to bring in Valeris from Star Trek Six. And then they mentioned that she's Romulan. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think Valeris was, was Romulan. I think that she was supposed to be like half Romulan, half Klingon or something like that oh. in some of the expanded universe stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, that's cool. They're bringing her in because I was misreading the name. I, I was reading it as Valeris. Uh, were you getting, I mean, there was some similarities there. Were you getting any of that when you were reading it? Or? I was not. So, anyways, it would have been cool if it, it did. I didn't make any connection that she was anybody else. I just thought, oh, they got a Romulan <laughs> in Starfleet. A redhead oh, Romulan. Okay. Kind of progressive. Okay. Right. Um, you know, okay. I mean, having the Klingon, I mean, having Worf as, you know, uh, uh, on, in Next Gen was like, a huh, a Klingon as a crew member, huh? And now here, 100 years earlier, we got a Romulan. Right. I'm hoping that they show the Horta crew member here pretty soon. <laughs> I want to see him on the con. I want to see Mr. Potato Head on the con. Yeah, I want him to make his uh, IDW debut. Yeah, that'd be great. So on, uh, I'm looking at the PDF from uh, Comixology, so I don't know. It's not the PDF, but whatever it is um, from Comixology. So I don't know what page it is if you're looking at the book. But when Kirk is talking to Vallis um, for the first time, I think, mm-hmm. right after the little incident when you transported over. Right. Um on the last panel of the page, uh, he's talking to a uh, a black woman, a bald black woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, Star Trek badge is on the wrong side of his chest. Okay, hold on. So, Lieutenant Darwin, or is this something somebody else? Is that is that is that her name? The, the helmsman. Yeah, is it, it's a woman, right? I thought it was a guy, but I've been wrong on that that point before. Uh, it's a bald person. Um, Lieutenant Darwin, I, I thought it was a guy, but I, I could be wrong. Mm. I, I might be wrong, but I thought it was a, a it, it could be a girl. Yeah, it could be a girl. Yeah, quite frankly, it was like, okay, Kirk knows her. So was she from the Enterprise? That's what I was wondering too. Yeah. A familiar face. Right. The only thing is I don't recognize her. Mm. Uh, was she, was there a Lieutenant Darwin actually in Beyond? Maybe. That's the only place I can think of because I know she, she, he wasn't in the the books we just finished. Yeah. Okay. You know. But do you see the badge being flipped? I, I on that first page that you see Darwin. Um, when he's saying Lieutenant Darwin, good to see a familiar face. His badge is on the wrong side of his chest. Just saying. Okay, but in the very first one where he says Captain on the bridge, yeah, and at ease. It's on the proper side. It's on the left yep. side. Then you turn the next page. Okay, but I'm looking at the next page, and unless maybe mine is cropped somehow, but you can't see 
you can't see his or her uh, badge. It's 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 crap wrong to see it. Is mine different from yours? Must be because huh. uh, on the last panel, the last so, panel so, on the sec- on that next page where he yeah. says Lieutenant Darwood, good to see a familiar face. You too, sir. Yeah, you could see his badge. I can't. No, are you not zoomed at all. in? Uh, no. <laughs> it's. Uh, I'll, I'll send you a copy after the after the after the episode, but um, no. I mean the, the the outer panel, uh, the edge, the outer rim of the panel then has white beyond it. Interesting. And nope. and the white's there, so it's not like the page is cropped. That's really weird. Okay, so they put it on the wrong side. Okay. <laughs> um, I did look up Lieutenant Darwin. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in uh, In the Darkness. Oh, In the Darkness. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, now that I see her picture, I'm like, I guess I might have remembered seeing her, but mm-hmm. they never called her by name right. in the movie. I think I would have remembered that. Yeah. I don't don't remember that either. There you go. Yeah. Okay, now that we're in these early pages, I'm just mentioning that during Kirk's address to the crew, um, mm-hmm. first off, he it almost looks like he has a little bit of a paunch, the way he's le- kind of leaning back on the uh, con. But on the particular page I'm talking about, it's like maybe the third or fourth page of the book, in the middle, there's a redhead girl with a sciences blue tunic, and then there's a, a a kid. I can only say kid in a red tunic. And then there's another yellow, gold, whatever command tunic for a third kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, they look like they're from high school. They look very young. High school or like freshmen. I mean, I'm not talking about seniors here. I'm t- I'm saying these guys, juniors, tops. Yeah, they're very young. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who they're supposed to be. Maybe they're just showing that this is a a fresh crew. I don't know. Very fresh. As in not even out of high school yet. Okay, I just thought I'd mention that. But if you're on that page, the uh, alien crew member that's right underneath them. Right. Uh, in the red tunic. Yeah. You'll see that same alien on uh, the Concord later. Oh, cool. So the same and species. So I'm like, this is a very, very popular species all of a sudden. Right, right. Hey, it's a comic. Why not? All you got to do is draw a little different. Right. Not like you need prosthetics. Right, 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 right. Uh, all in all, artwork I thought was great. I enjoyed the story, and I am really looking forward to this, this series continuing. Good. What about you? Oh, I'm looking forward to it big time. I, I want to see how long McCoy can survive under the cruel whip. Of the Tellarite female. Oh my god, it's a female. And, uh, I did think it was funny they pointed that out because the, this person has a big beard and everything. and, and Big old punch. She says, you don't have problems taking a, taking orders from a Tellarite or a female. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm glad you told me that because I thought you were a dude. <laughs> exactly. Very ugly. I, you know, I remember Tellarites being a bit more pig-like. Right. Um, so this reboot Tellarite looks a bit different. So maybe maybe they 
maybe the original Tellarites were a little bit too pig-like, so it was maybe a little harder to take them serious. I don't know. But they've right. definitely reworked Tellarites in this uh, reboot reality. At least in this book. Right. Now, did we ever see Kinzer in this book? I don't remember seeing him. Um, I don't remember. Be. Yeah, where would he be with Scotty? Well, I don't. They don't have to be together. They don't have to be, but come on, they're buds. They do work well against each other. They do. They play off well. Yes. And the Scotty scene, we didn't talk about it, but I loved it. I loved him putting that uh, that young cadet in his place. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of funny though because it's uh, it's just a little pat. But yeah, yeah, it's good. So I didn't mention about it, but yeah, some kid is saying, uh, considering you blew up your ship, should you really be uh, giving safety uh, instructions? <laughs> and Scotty just put him right in his place, as he should. Yeah, all Scotty would have to do is like, I invented transport beaming, and then he just drops the mic and walks off. <laughs> you can't top that. No, you can't top that. Try that, punk. Okay, can I can I mention Kirk's new ship? Uh, sure. The Endeavor, which is about as close word wise to the Enterprise as you can get, I must say that. So I think the the the, the name of the ship was was quite cool, quite appropriate to what Kirk's used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at it, it's rather interesting. The nacelles are actually even with the engineering section, pretty much. Maybe a little higher than the engineering sections, but not by much. So unlike the Enterprise, where the nacelles were more upright and higher up, and you could easily see them, you know, if you're looking head-on, you could easily see them over the uh, saucer section. The Endeavor has them much lower. Right. Now, is that more in alignment with the new Enterprise? I thought the Enterprise, the new Enterprise, had them up high, if I remember right. Well, I need to watch it again now that it's on Blu-ray. I, I think, yeah, okay. So I think the 2009 movie reboot, they were high and they were mm-hmm. close, kind of close to each other. Where I think the new Enterprise A, they're further apart from each other, and maybe a little lower, or maybe not. I don't know, but they're definitely further apart. They're not so close together. I know before the Enterprise blew up uh, in this in this movie, uh, I thought that they were closer together in that movie than they were in the previous two movies. Mm, I so, think it's possible too, just to okay. accentuate the differences, maybe right. a little bit. Maybe, yeah. And also, supposedly that ship did have a lot of reworking from the incident in In the Darkness, right? So it was really banged up badly. Supposedly, there was a lot of rework done to it. To get a space or if we take everything as canon, uh, after Manifest Destiny, after the the whooping it took there. Uh huh. Well, yeah, could be, could be. Anyways, we're splitting hairs. Yes, we are. Um, as, as far usual. as the Endeavor, I, I really liked it. The saucer section looks huge, bigger than the uh, Enterprise did. Yeah, and is that just from the angle that you're seeing it at? I'm not sure, but um, because when you see it from the side. It doesn't look that much different from the Enterprise. So the first time you see it, it's from it's from a distance a bit. So, you know, it's not close up. 
but you see kind of a profile view and it looks one way. And then when it starts getting closer looks, you're looking from the top at it and the, uh, the saucer section definitely dominates. Right. Just reminded me of the Enterprise D a little bit with, with the bigger saucer section. Ah, hmm, hmm. Could be, could be. But uh, no, I liked it. I thought, I thought, I thought it looked good, and I liked the Concord too, where it just looks like a oh, uh, the Concord, a, 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 a saucer section stuck to a nacelle. Exactly. So I don't recall there ever being a canon story where they actually showed a starship of this configuration and Taws, but there's a ton of those that people have like whipped up through CGI or whatever. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those where they've got, uh, you know, the old school saucer section, the old school nacelle, and they've even got kind of like this uh, this really gangly looking stalk coming down and then and then the deflect coming down from the saucer section. And then the uh, the deflector saucer is is stuck on that. Cuz you need a deflector dish anyway but this is a 2009 reboot kelvin style version of that and i think it looks fine it looks fine yeah didn't didn't the kelvin kind of have that design well it did but it had engineering section so there's no engineer well it it so two tubes and a and a saucer section one tube was the engine and then the other tube right. was engineering this right. thing does not have an engineering section. Well, of course it has an engineering section, but it must be small. Right, I mean, underneath, right underneath the bridge or something. Yeah, or maybe if you look at the back of the saucer section when you first see the Concord, there's a, there's a big tubular section which leads, I guess, into an impulse engine. Oh, I thought that was the shuttle bay. Oh, shuttle bay? I thought that was impulse engines. Oh, uh, no. no. Maybe that's just shuttle bay, yeah. I mean, otherwise, where would the shuttle bay be? Good question. Don't know. Where's the impulse engines? You need those, too. Mm. Uh, they got, probably got little rockets on the side. <laughs> anyway, anytime I see a single nacelle ship, I just wonder, well, what happens if it goes out? <laughs> you need two for redundancy. Anyway. Well, that's why they're not that far away. Oh, wait, they're at the Delta oh, Quadrant. Oh, exactly. They're like about <laughs> as far away as you can get <laughs> and be in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. Anyways. So Captain Terrell is a younger man, yep. um, uh, a more fitter man. So in, the, in keeping with the idea that everybody's young here, except, of course, for, the, except of course for McCoy and his boss. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, he's, he looks like a stalwart, happy, you know, confident, like, let's do things kind of captain. Yep. So. Yeah, so the, uh, the actor that played Captain Terrell in Wrath of Khan. Right. Uh, what was his name? Paul uh, Winfield? Yes, exactly. Yeah, good. I wouldn't he, have known. Uh, he was in an episode of Next Generation, right, where he played the alien that, it was like an episode almost like enemy mine where they couldn't he and Picard couldn't really communicate to each other right yeah I remember that one and he was in very heavy makeup right but I just like that they reused him yeah what was that one called 
uh, it was his name, whatever his name was. Right. Key Rock. I don't recall. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, does not look like this dude though. Paul Winfield had a, a, a air of like command to him. He, he was, oh yeah, you know he had he was depicting that wisdom and stuff that comes with age. Where exactly this guy looks like he's fresh out of the academy, just like Kirk. I know. I would not take this guy seriously. I'm like, really? <laughs> hey, hey, Captain, could you get me a coffee? Maybe a frappuccino? Uh, because, you know, you just look too young. So, Weren't, weren't you in the break room just now playing Xbox? <laughs> exactly. No, where... Uh, that new Gorn uh, game. Iris Ababa, whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, Adiris, yeah. Yeah, when, when they showed Adiris. the the Franklin, and he was the captain of. I mm-hmm. mean, he looked like he he had that air of, oh. about him that he was oh. a captain. He had oh come on, oh yeah, oh he's oh yeah. Uh, when he was in um, Pacific Rim, and he was the guy in charge of the, all the guys with getting inside the robot suits and stuff. Right. He was going to cancel the apocalypse. That's a great speech. Exactly. Right. I mean, he's a guy you don't want to mess with. He's in charge, and you'd better get used to the idea. So that was – yeah, he's great at that kind of thing. Right. Not this guy. No. Not the, not the looks of him anyway. Right. And nothing against Pine or anything, but I don't get that from him either. That uh, He's just too young for me. Well, uh, Kirk was in his 30s. And he was supposedly the youngest captain in Starfleet. That sounds right. Pine beat that. By a lot. Now, mind you, he saved saved everybody, Earth and everything. So, okay, you got to give him that. But um, he's just too stinking young. The whole crew's too stinking young. Anyway. But by this time, they've already gone through, what, three years of their... Or two and a half years of their uh, five-year mission, right? Plus all the time in between darkness and the original series, uh, right, the original right. Movie, so right, yeah, right, exactly. Been out there a while. And I like that. I mean, I, I like the original Taws movies where they went from, uh, you know, it was it was it was a serial, so they went from one story to the next story to the next story, and it was supposedly all the same thing, at least the first four, and yeah. then the fifth happened. They forget it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, they were getting older through all those, and they were supposed right. to be one over the uh, over the other. I kind of like what they're doing here uh, with the reboot stuff. Where hey, you know, it's been two and a half years or whatever it is since the last movie. Let's make it maybe not two and a half years, but you know, it's been some time. Some time has passed. Some things have happened. You don't pick up at exactly the same place when you finally get to the third movie. Kirk's kind of ser- sick of being on the ship. You know, that's I kind of like that. Right, that they're doing that. I do too. Yeah, it acknowledges that the actors are getting older too. So, right. Yeah, which is would have been nice if, like in, um, like how DC Comics did their run in between the movies, where they would do their own thing, and then right before the next movie came in, they really had to rein it in to right be in line with whatever was going to come in the next movie. Right. Which I would have liked to have seen. Well, and for the most part, um, IDW did that with End of Darkness. 
you know, kind of brought it in so that it would fit in in darkness. But they never did do it with uh, the new movie. Yeah, they didn't. But maybe they didn't have to. I don't know because they're doing. They're certainly doing it afterward. Yeah. No. I, and I'm I'm enjoying this. So. Yeah, and, and and obviously when you got the producer, so Orsi was the producer of you know um, Star Trek Beyond. So, and he's the story consultant. You know, for these these books, these comics. So it's like you're right in there. I mean, you know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, how this is probably an unprecedented uh, unprecedented level of access between the comic makers and the movie makers. So okay. they're able to plan this stuff out a bit, and and probably JJ and and the rest of the writers and everything. They probably said right up front, "Hey, it's not going to be one after the other. These movies are going to have some time in between each other." So, hey, you got some room for storytelling, comic folks. Right. Right. And too bad they uh, they nixed all the novels, though. So comics is the only place where you're going to get expanded universe in the, the Kelvin timeline for That's so the odd. foreseeable future. That is so odd. Is it just From because of the I, comics or what? I don't know. From what I understand, Alan Dean Foster wrote the first book. It was ready to be published, and then uh, CBS pulled it. Oh, was it because of the whole JJ thing where he didn't want confusion or something or whatever? Right, but he still lets the he still does he still allows the comic book. So I don't know why why telling <coughs> excuse me I don't know why telling expanded universe stories in comic book forms okay, but the novels weren't. Well, I think Orsi and maybe Kurtzman, who knows, maybe even JJ, comic book fans. And 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 if they're going to do movies that do skip years, that this is a great way of filling in the gaps of what's going on in between. But then if you did that and you had novels, maybe things get more unwieldy. I don't think so, but maybe that's their thinking. I don't know. Right, right. All right, what else you got for this issue, sir? I think... As far yeah, so you mentioned the drawing, the artwork was very good. It is very good, and I think they got a lot of details down very well. They do a great job with the uniforms, and they even get the coloring right. So there are places where you see uh, Kirk, where you can spot the fact that the uh, the fabric's a little different color under on the sides than on the front and back. I mean, they actually did that kind of detail, which is pretty cool. So, thumbs up on uh, accuracy. I'm still not a big fan of the new cut of the uniforms. No, I think they're great. I love them. Uh, to me, they they look too much like the dress uniform that Picard would have to wear every once in a while. Just, oh, you think so? Yeah, with the I guess with the collar, and it looks really straight line all the way down. Well, I don't know. Just, just reminds me of that little dress thing that he had to wear. I, I think in Next Gen, where they add the collar, and by the way, they had collars in Next Gen too, um, I think that was the greatest thing they did for the look of it. They got out of the pajamas, they got out of the leotards, and they got into two-piece, more reasonable-looking uh, tunics with collars that look really cool. Right. So I, I like them. I think they're pretty good. Yeah, I just think I'm them. not used to it yet. So Yeah. Like I said, I've only seen Beyond once, and uh, this is the first time aside from that that I've been exposed to 
So as I watch Beyond more, I'm sure it'll grow on me. Cool. Cool. Yeah, what do you think about the Way mission or survival jackets that they use in Beyond? Um, I liked them. That, that I can recall. Like I said, I need to watch them again. Oh, you better watch them again. <laughs> but it's the one that uh, Spock and McCoy wear. Uh, no, it's the ones that Chekhov and Kirk, uh, wear. Kirk wear. Right. So the guys that were able to actually get out and stay in in a in a pod, uh, those are the guys that were able to magically change outfits by the time they landed. <laughs> Or maybe they maybe they changed into the different outfit once they landed. I don't know, but it just seemed no. Kirk came out of the out of the pod in the in the new duds, which he definitely was not wearing when he got off the uh, off the saucer section. Right. Anyway, minor point. I think it looked pretty cool at first when I started seeing photos ahead of time, like a few stills from the movie. I was like, uh. Yellow, those yellow things on the shoulders, it's like, that's, they're a bit overdone, aren't they? But, uh, yeah, I think it looked pretty good. They grew on you? They grew on me. Okay, that's all I could say. I'm looking forward, forward to this new series. Good. Alright, uh, next episode we'll be back and we're going to do another new IDW series called Waypoint which actually has two little short stories, uh, one based in the Next Generation timeline and one based in the original Taz timeline. Cool. And if I remember correctly, the Next Generation timeline is a bit forward in that Next Generation timeline. Right. It is actually uh, a post-Nemesis possibility. From what I understand about Waypoint, it's not considered canon by any any particular timeline. So okay. They're going to do some crazy stuff and get away with it. Cause I think in the second issue, it's supposed to be gold key, gold key comic, uh, issue. Ask gold yeah. key. Ask. Yeah. What if gold key was still making issues and, and it might be like a next generation one. So oh. I, I saw the cover and it shows like Kurt, I think it was Kirk. So it must be original series. But it showed Kirk and uh, uh, a Klingon in like these, like uh, I don't know, Rock'em Sock'em robot type things fighting. <laughs> oh, know. it was a very weird cover. So, so I think Waypoint's going to be a fun, fun series to read. Good. So we'll do the first issue of that, and then we'll go back to a uh, series that we've kind of been ignoring for a long time, and that is John Byrne's uh, New Visions. Cool. And we'll do issue number two of that. So both of these issues are a little long, so we'll only do two issues next week. Great. Again, I was just going through and getting rid of stuff since we're going to be moving soon. And I came across an old uh, box of books, and there sure is, sure in Begora, there's my old Star Trek uh, little paperback that does uh, an episode with the same kind of uh, photos from the episode and then with uh, voice bubbles and you know, dialogue bubbles right, inside awesome. of it, which is exactly what Byrne's doing. So right. um, that's great. Of course, he is actually working, though. These old things from the 70s or whenever I got them, 
Um, they just redid the the original the original episode, so right. no no big whoop there. But he's actually piecing together all this footage into new stories. It's just amazing. Yeah, I, can you imagine having to watch not only just watch the stories because they're they're good stories, but right. he has to watch every frame to try to get the exact look or the you know get the character when he's looking in the right direction. Right. For and then and then crop him out and put him into an, another picture with other actors. Uh, exactly, it's, it's amazing. And he's actually he doesn't always use the raw frame. Sometimes, like you say, he's taking bits and pieces from those original f- frames and juxtaposing them into other frames, and it looks good. Right. Occasionally, it looks a little off. Because, well, you know, overall, it looks good. But uh, but overall, yeah. no, it's great. Well, sometimes the the uniforms aren't consistent either. Yeah, wasn't there one where it was a different color? Yeah, color? right. Anyways, I will forgive him because uh, I'm enjoying those stories. Me too. Me too. They're just a little long, so we always do three issues, and it's always like, eh, do we want to have the third issue be a really long one? Yeah. So uh, since we're only doing two next week, I think it's going to work out well. Sounds good. All right, so uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode. I think it went a little long, but uh, we had a lot to talk about. We did. So uh, we'll see you all next week. Okay. See you next time on the review, everybody. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.